Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for today, which is taken from the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel, is a masterpiece, both in a literary and a spiritual sense. The story itself is actually a very artfully crafted interweaving of two tightly related narratives. The story of the raising of the daughter of Jairus and the story of the healing of the hemorrhaging woman. But the way St. Mark tells the story, he begins with the daughter of Jairus. Then he sandwiches in, if you will, the story of the hemorrhaging woman. Then he concludes with the second part of the first story. And then in a number of ways, he shows how we're meant to read these two narratives together. For example, the daughter of Jairus, but then the hemorrhaging woman is referred to by Jesus as a daughter of Israel. Also, the little girl is 12 years old, and we hear that the hemorrhaging woman has had her problem for 12 years. The point is we're meant to see these two stories as tightly related to each other. Now, what is this meaning we're meant to see? Can I suggest to you, To understand it, we have to look at the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus? (laughs) Yes, even though it's probably one of the lesser-read books of the Bible. It's very important for understanding the Jewish mentality and therefore to understanding much of the New Testament. Many New Testament stories, very much including this one, are told over and against the book of Leviticus. Well, what do you find if you look in this interesting book? You find a whole series of laws, requirements, prescriptions, proscriptions, rituals, all the various behaviors, activities, and laws that define the Israelite people. Much of the book of Leviticus is taken up with the consideration of the clean and the unclean. Which animals? can be eaten, which can't? What kind of situations must be avoided? What kind of things make you unclean? What do you have to do to be rendered clean thereafter? All of those questions are explored in the book of Leviticus. And now I realize when we read it today, it can strike us as peculiar, this sort of odd historical artifact. Well, to be fair, Every people has some version of the book of Leviticus. You know, every people, every group would have some set of laws and rituals and behaviors and prescriptions by which they are defined as a people. And you know what? Push it further. Even those parts of Leviticus that we find probably most amusing or puzzling, all those lists of clean and unclean foods, well, come on, we've got our own book of Leviticus. Go through most health magazines. Watch 
television shows and commercials. We have all kinds of lists of proscribed foods, foods that we think are unclean, unhealthy. You know, if you look in Leviticus, a lot of the things they say not to eat are good not to eat. A lot of the behaviors they say not to engage in are actually good not to engage in. So we have our own version. Every culture has some version of the book of Leviticus. But I want to draw your attention to two passages in Leviticus that have a bearing on this gospel. Here's the first one. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. Every bed on which she lies during all the days of her discharge shall be treated as the bed of her impurity. Everything on which she sits shall be unclean. Whoever touches these things shall be unclean. Okay, now we see why in Mark's story. A woman who has had a discharge, this physical problem, for 12 years has much more than simply a medical difficulty. For people who take the book of Leviticus seriously, this woman was a pariah. Imagine, she is for 12 years unclean. Everything she touches is unclean. Anyone that comes in contact with her is rendered unclean. Whatever she sits on, lies on, is unclean. This woman would be excluded from every aspect of Israelite life. Community, worship, everything. Mark is presenting us with a woman in a very dire situation. What did she do? In her desperation, she hears of Jesus coming by, and so she reaches out just to touch his cloak in the hopes that it might cure her. Now again, in light of Leviticus, this move, and she knows it, this move would render Jesus unclean. Whoever touches an unclean woman himself becomes unclean. But what happens instead? Something extraordinary. She, in fact, by this touch, is healed and thereby rendered clean. Thereby rendered capable of reinserting herself into the community and society and religion of her time. She's restored to life. Yes, physically, but also morally, spiritually, psychologically. What should go in one direction, she makes Jesus unclean, in fact goes in the other direction. Jesus makes her clean. Now, consider the second story, the one that's interwoven with this account. Jairus, a synagogue official, comes to Jesus, gets down on his knees, and that by itself is an extraordinary act. A synagogue official was a very high figure in the society of Jesus' time. For him to get down on his knees and to beg this local rabbi, that's extraordinary. But he begs he might come and lay his hands on his daughter for she's at the point of death. So he makes his way there. As he gets close to his house, the servants come out and say, 
don't bother the teacher any further. Your daughter is dead. Now at this point, I want to aver again to the book of Leviticus. Listen. No one shall defile himself with a dead person except for his nearest kin. What makes you unclean? All kinds of things. But one of the most dangerous situations, according to Leviticus, is to touch a corpse. To touch a dead person would render you dramatically unclean. The only one who is permitted to touch a corpse would be a member of that person's immediate family preparing him or her for burial. Again, no one shall defile himself with a dead person except his nearest kin. So they say, don't trouble the teacher. In fact, don't let him come in here. She's already dead. He'll be rendered unclean. What does he do? He says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. They ridicule him. They laugh him to scorn. He dismisses all of them. He brings the parents and three of his disciples in to the room where the little girl lies. He bends down. Now, we're going to miss this, but those who are steep in the book of Leviticus, they won't miss it. He stoops down and he touches the dead girl. He's unclean. He's unclean. That's, that's prescribed explicitly by Leviticus. A pious Jew doesn't do that. He touches her, took her by her hand, and then he said, Talitha kum. It's wonderful, by the way. It's one of the three times in the Gospels we hear the authentic words of Jesus. The Gospels, you know, are written in Greek. But three times they preserve for us the Aramaic that Jesus himself would have spoken. Once is when he heals the man who is deaf and, and dumb, and he says, Ephatha, be opened. A second time is when from the cross he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And the third time is right here. How beautiful. Talita kum. Little girl, get up. And she gets up. She rises. She comes back to life. Again, notice the parallel. In the hemorrhaging woman, she reaches out and touches Jesus. Normally, that would make Jesus unclean. Instead, she becomes cleansed and brought back to life. Here, the same thing. Jesus reaches out and touches a corpse, touches a dead person. Normally, that would make him unclean. But in fact, it brings her back to life, renders her clean. So what's the point of these stories? What's Mark trying to tell us? I think he's telling us Israel is being redefined as a people. Up to this point, the book of Leviticus defined who the Jewish people were. Following all those series of of laws and, and regulations and prescriptions defined an Israelite. But now, all of that is overcome. 
all of that is superseded by these gestures of Jesus. How often, by the way, in the Gospels, we hear a commentary upon this. Remember we hear, Jesus thereby renders all foods clean. Well, that was a major preoccupation of Jews of Jesus' time. Which foods were clean, which were unclean. He says, that's got nothing to do with your holiness. Nothing to do with who you really are spiritually. Remember the great scene in the Acts of the Apostles? Peter is dreaming and he has this great vision of a sheet being lowered. And on the sheet are all these different animals, clean and unclean. And he hears a voice saying, take, slaughter, and eat. Well, he's a pious Jew. He follows Leviticus. You don't, you don't eat unclean animals. Slaughter and eat, the voice says. Peter realizes that his deepest spiritual identity now comes not from these rules of Leviticus, but they come from a relationship with Christ. Oh, and how often Paul, throughout his letters, engages in a polemic against the law in favor of faith. What's going on here? The church, which is the new Israel, is being defined now in relation to Jesus. It's not so much the regulations of Leviticus that matter. Now it is our relationship to him that we do what he does. And what does he do? He reaches out to those who are suffering. He reaches out to those who are excluded, marginalized. He reaches out to the dead and he brings them back to life. That is the law now that we follow. That's the law of the new Israel. That's the law of the church. Faith in him, conformity unto him, doing what he did. That's now how we are defined as a people. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.